This is Liv Peterson from Entrenuity. Thanks for joining us today on the Moxie podcast, where we bring you content to help you move your business forward by capturing the thoughts and techniques from entrepreneurs and business people doing real business with integrity and excellence. Today, we're bringing you Mark King. He started his career in international microenterprise lending and urban development. For the last 20 years, Mark has been investing in venture capital-backed companies in a variety of industries. In this episode, Mark will continue speaking on venture capitalists and how they look for investments. Take a listen and hope you enjoy the Moxie podcast. I know that you can make it better. I know. I know that you can make a change. We spent a long time talking about how to communicate with investors. Um, in fact, that's typically the question I'll get. Um, somebody will send me an email or get a phone call. Hey, can you look at this pitch? Can you look at this presentation? Can you look at this plan? Can you look at this financial model? Um, we, we could probably do a whole seminar just on that. So what I want to do is explain um, how they look because I think it gets at that question because it's a really, really, really important question. Um, so again, I'm going to work kind of a cheesy analogy here. Uh, it's very much like dating. <laughs> it's very, it, it's very scary, a little random, and the stakes are very high. There's meeting, there's dating. Who's married, right? And the, the the analogous kind of aspects that a venture capitalist needs to do is connecting with people, meeting entrepreneurships, listening to them to, to kind of again get those facts, and then finally they have to make a decision. So from a dating standpoint, I couldn't resist. Um, there's typically broad stories. There's, there's there's an infinite number of ways right you can meet meet a partner or a potential partner. But the three that I wanted to kind of focus on as kind of as kind of categories that are helpful for thinking about it is speed dating, right? Which is an event. There's kind of data or kind of public searching, right? eHarmony is kind of this. It's kind of highly um, highly targeted kind of data searching, for lack of a better description. And then there's this guy. Uh, that's Kyle Oland who is the guy that was my roommate after college who invited me to a church volleyball league, which then got me going to that church's singles group where he introduced me to the woman from the first slide, my wife, Tina. You can meet, and maybe the best way to meet, he'd known her, happened to grow up kind of in the area, knew who she was, Gave me a few clues how not to be too stupid and embarrassing when I first talked to her. A little bit of background. It was a referral. Again, the idea is you get together, the entrepreneurs are up on stage, they present. Some of them are Shark Tank-like speed dating, or it's five minutes. And there are others where maybe there's a half an hour presentation and questions. But it's an event-driven thing. The odds of success, not super high, but it is really good practice. I, I will say that. If out speed dating, you get really good at telling your story because you do it a lot, repetitively, very quickly. So there's there's some value to it, but it's kind of low probability. I'm a venture capitalist. It'd be great to have an eHarmony kind of concept, right? Where I just log on to a database. Well, that, that's PitchBook's business model. They track companies that have venture capital backing. Um, so I can, I can log on here, I can prop in, you know, I can enter in my criteria, this part of the country, this much revenue, this industry, and I can pull up a list of companies that I can send, I can look at their profile, right? 
um, and then I can reach out to them and, and take it from there. Lastly, you know, the, the referrals really is kind of the classic way to get venture capital. The reality of a venture capitalist is most people are, are not horribly, they get a lot of unsolicited requests. The floodgates are almost open. Um, and it, um, lots of people with lots of ideas don't do the work that you're doing here this morning and kind of thinking through how you ought to do this. And they're not selective about who they send their business plans to. If I'm overwhelmed with kind of dating prospects and a friend of mine who knows me and my criteria, you know, my friend Kyle knew me pretty well. He knew my theme, he knew my thesis, and he knew my criteria. If I'm a venture capitalist and I have a business colleague that knows my theme, knows my thesis, understands my criteria, and they refer something to me, that is like golden. That's the best way to screen. Most VC deals are driven by referrals and by some sort of kind of trusted referral, trusted advisor who passes along a name. How do you talk to a venture capitalist? There's kind of two basic storylines that you can use, right? The first one is for something that, that to some degree isn't novel, right? It's not, it's not new and uninvented. It's not so much an invention, it's a better business. You wanna, they're, they're listening first and foremost for are you solving somebody's pain in the world? Is there a problem out there that you can fix better than either doesn't have a solution or you have a better solution for it. Then they're gonna listen and think, okay, does this solution really work? Do I think this works? Is it better, faster, and is it unique? Okay, it's not just enough. If, again, if I come back to the coffee shop example, there might be a neighborhood that doesn't have uh, a lot of coffee. I come up with a solution being a coffee shop. But the question is, what makes it unique? You know, is it massively better? Is it massively faster? Is it massively cheaper? One of the things you're looking for here is an unfair competitive advantage. You really want to have a sense that to be successful, you can't just be a little bit better, right? So if you're going to plop down next to Starbucks, you better have something that's way different or way better than Starbucks, right? Because the solution that's kind of in the market it may not be perfect, but it's okay. Then, from an economic standpoint, it has to be scalable. And this is where kind of the financial model, you tell your story for the financial story here. As I make more of it, I get better at selling it or better at making it. You know, is it a neighborhood business? Is it a city-wide business? Is it a regional business? Is it a national business? Is it an international business? Venture capital funds, as I said, even though they have a very long time horizon, it's not forever. You know, they're not in this business to run it and hand it off to their grandchildren. Venture capitalists are in the business of growing and selling businesses. Um, so that's called, referred to as an exit event. How do they get their money back? Because they have to give it back to the Chicago Teachers Pension Fund. Once you've demonstrated that they've, they've heard this problem, they've heard why the solution is unique and scalable, they've figured out how they can actually get out of this, now you talk about the team and why you have assembled the team that's unique for this piece of it. If I'm gonna invest money in an opportunity, in a business, I don't know if you're any good until I understand the situation, right? So Michael Jordan, I had to overstate it to kind of make an example, Michael Jordan comes and introduces himself first in, this, in the presentation. 
Ta-da! Woo! Awesome! It's Michael Jordan. Then you find out you're playing hockey. Oh my gosh! He's, it makes no sense. Evaluating a management team without understanding what they're trying to do is like evaluating an athlete without knowing what game they're going to be playing. So explain the game when you're presenting. If, if you're going to open a coffee shop, you know, explain that first and then go, and guess what? I worked at a coffee shop for 10 years. I managed a Starbucks. I managed an independent place. Then you have a massive amount of credibility, right? Because you, you've explained the game and now you explain why you're, you're the right athlete. And I don't say entrepreneur. I don't say founder. I don't say owner. I say team. Very rare that one person kind of on their own is enough. You need to explain kind of how things work. So and then they gotta, you got to ask, right? At the end, they need to know, and they're listening for, again, some of those criteria. You might need $50,000, and my minimum investment is $100. Or the flip side is, you might need $100 million to build like some factory somewhere, right? And I could invest one million to five, right? Or I need a decision, the timing is a great example, because I mean, again, venture capitalists have constraints just on how much they can do in a day, like most people. They may not be able to, they may say, look, we're just not doing any new investments for the next six months, because we just happen to make three new ones, we're incredibly busy, we can't honestly tell you we have time right now. Love, 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 if you can wait six months or nine months or a year, well, we love it. But if you need the money in the next three months, I'm not your person. That's option A. Now, option B, um, the other version of the story is that you, you've invented something insanely cool, right? Oh, mad professor invents Flubber, right? Remember the old Disney movie? There's nobody in the world going, gosh, I wish we had more Flubber, right? You've come up with something really interesting that doesn't have an immediate kind of need or opportunity in the market. What they're listening for now is, okay, we've got Flubber. Are you the guys, are you the team to figure out what different problems might be solved by Flubber in a unique way, right? So there's, there's different problems that Flubber might apply to. This might be a unique solution, and they might be scalable. You've got to have the, the team's job now is not to just solve one problem and grow the business. They're, they're trying to figure out what business do we build, right? Who needs Flubber the most? Who's willing to pay for Flubber the most, right? So you have kind of this flow that gets you potentially, and maybe Flubber works on two of them, and you get, you know, combine an amazing exit. So that's a little bit different story. So if you've invented something that's truly different, that's driven first by kind of the science or the technology, then you start with that. And you go, Eureka, this is what we discovered. We need the capital to go figure this out. Right? And it's, we don't know. We don't know exactly. We, we don't solve the problem. We just don't know which one. Right? And we see that again all, um, sometimes with, with what I would call more hard science stuff. Some mad professor will come up with some semiconducting something or other that nobody can pronounce that they're like, oh, this will make computers 100 times faster. See in the medical world all the time. They don't even know if the stuff works half the time. Um, and then they discover it works for some other disease. 
So those, when you're telling your story, that's what they're listening to. Now, the last thing I'll talk about uh, to try and kind of pull the curtain back a little bit is when you're thinking about, um, it's not just a check the box kind of situation. This is particularly true um, for smaller firms and it's true for angel investors, right? You can talk all day, right, about what kind of criteria they're looking for, what kinds of opportunities. That's a very check the box. Yes, I'm software. Yes, I'm SaaS. Yes, I'm located in, in Chicago. Yes, we have the right amount of, you know, yes, 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 and still not get the money. And the difference is because of the how, right? And this is kind of the stuff that goes on behind the curtain. There's three major um, decision-making models. Um, there are some, particularly at smaller firms, where an individual partner will make a decision and write a check. And at that point, it's about the personality, right? That, that partner may or may not just like you, you know, because they're in, the marriage analogy is, is not completely inappropriate. And, the, and VCs will tell you this. They've turned down deals just because I, I don't want to work with the person. They just, you know, great business, great technology, great market. Oh, they're left-handed and I just don't like left-handed people. You know, there's, it, it's a personality thing. It's really no different because they, they will tell you, like, I, I may have to sit in a boardroom 10 or 12 years with this person and that's longer than a lot of marriages. So that's very much about personality. There's also kind of a classic committee structure in some firms. And this is kind of mid to larger sized firms. Um, where you, you know, the partners up front, the individual that you're dealing with, because almost all of them, you're, you're dealing with a specific point of contact. I should, I should back up and explain that. And similar to a bank, you don't deal with a bank, you deal with a loan officer, right? And that person represents the institution. Um, all your negotiations are, are back and forth um, with, with kind of one person or maybe, you know, somebody that's helping them with the analysis. But most often, there's a committee process, um, and there's kind of this unwritten rule that these investment committees all meet on Monday mornings. A person may love you, your deal, the opportunity, absolutely, check every single box, right? They gotta go pitch their partner. Maybe it's majority rule, maybe somebody has a veto. At this point, it's kind of about the institution, not the individual, right? It's, is this a good fit for us overall? And a lot of times, you have to remember, this person is now your advocate, right? You've convinced them, you've got to give them the tools to convince their committee. I want to draw a little bit of a distinction between what I would call a committee model, and which is more formalistic, and a consensus model, right? And it's, it's the consensus model is particularly common in smaller firms. They don't they oftentimes will actually all four people meet with you. In these kind of committee situations, particularly bigger firms, you may never meet or talk to this particular person, right? They, they've had a vote, but you may not necessarily meet with them. In a consensus-driven model, you're gonna have interaction. Like you've got one particular point person or advocate, but you have to deal with the personalities directly of the group, okay? And that's very different than dealing with institution, right? Because two of these people may be on your board or, um, you know, again, it's just, you've got to have that kind of fit with all of them.
Um, and they collectively, in these models, almost everybody has a veto. It's a very common model where it's unanimous that if partner C just really has a bad feeling about it, uh, or there's some specific data, or there's some specific reservations, but these three people are tied at the hip, like surgically, because if this person loses a lot of money, it comes out of everybody's pocket. So that's why the decision-making is often everybody meets the entrepreneur, everybody's got to have kind of a fit. Um, now, again, bigger firms, this is almost more bankish-like, but and there are firms that operate that way, but um, these are probably the most common. Number one thing to remember about how VCs look for deals. This is, this is true for anybody that's ever going to write a check at any level. Even you need to ask about things like, their thesis, some, some of it's publicly available, the details probably are not, right? But once you get into a process with a banker, right? What kind of information does the committee need? What's the underwriter do? How long will it take? You know, are there ratios that I need to hit? You know, those kinds of things. What if it's an angel investor, asking questions about timing, asking questions about other things they've invested in, asking questions about like if, it's an, if it's an individual angel investor, you honestly don't understand how, how their spouse comes in. How, how does, your fam, does your family help you make decisions? Is this money kind of in your personal family account or is it in a separate business that you've set up? You need to ask all those questions. Um, it is, it's, again, similar to a dating process. In that if you really want to get to know the other person, you, you got to ask questions uh, about how they make decisions, how they, how they run their business, what you should expect in the future. All of that stuff. And this is probably the biggest thing that when you hear people like me or anybody else or you read something on the internet about how to raise money, don't be shy about asking people questions. If, if, if you step over some invisible boundary, they'll tell you, right? Or they just won't tell you or they'll give you an ambiguous answer. Um, I'll give you a really simple one that everybody should ask about a venture capital firm. I talked about the fact that they have a seven to 10 year life, right? And then maybe say a three or four year investing period, right? So if I, have a, if I have a business and I go to a fund and it's their very first year of investing, I know they've got nine years before they need to sell my business. So I got, I got time to fix things. I got time to grow. I got time to make mistakes. I've got time to change things and grow. I got nine years. That's, a, that's you know, hopefully a, enough time to grow a business. If it's the fourth year and they need to start exiting in year eight, right? Now all of a sudden I've only got four years and I'm at the tail end. I'm one of the last investments they've made. They've already been hanging out. So some degree, once you're in the portfolio, you're competing for dry powder. Um, so a fund, if it's say, again, my, my mythical $85 million fund, you probably only invest half of that, right? You save the other half for follow-on investments for when people need growth capital. Well, now I'm not competing with the whole world. I'm competing with the other companies in the portfolio for the rest of the money that the VC has, right? So if it's year four, and I'm competing with the guy that they've already been in business with for four years, he's got nine years to grow and exit his business, and I only have four that's not a good, it's not a great spot. You don't want to be the last investment in a fund if you can avoid it. So there's those kinds of things that you're not going to know unless you ask a question. There, again, 
for anybody starting any kind of business that's going to take capital from the outside, those are the kinds of questions. When do you need to sell the business? How much more can you invest? Are you retiring soon? Right? You're, you're talking to a typical angel investor, successful business person. They're 57. Their retirement is, is fair game to ask questions about because it matters to, to how active they're going to be, what they're going to need money for. Do not be shy about asking. That kind of brings us to the end of uh, why, uh, what they look for, and then how they look. Thank you for joining us on the Moxie Podcast. The Moxie Podcast is brought to you by Entrenuity, where we help entrepreneurs turn their ideas into invoices. We at Entrenuity are always happy to hear from you, so please reach out to us if you have any questions or comments at www.entrenuity.com. Until next time, this is your host, Liv Peterson. I know that you can make it better. I know. I know that you can make a change.